Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Wow. Congratulations, Gophers and Gophers fans. My goodness. That was just amazing. You know, I the last few minutes, I was kind of watching through my fingers, kind of going, no, O-E-I. Because it just, you know, they were, they were so substantially ahead. And then Penn State really had... A pretty strong comeback. And wow, they did it. That was so cool. That was so cool. I bet they're still partying in Dinky Town tonight. The party will be going on for about, oh, I'd say another 70 hours. Another it'll 70 go in, hours. It'll go into the work week. That was I, very I, cool. I have a, an inclination that it will go into the work week. How far? Who, who knows? But it's going to go now, into the You know, that week. was really, really cool. And it's just, it's unbelievable to me that this is their best. Well, they hadn't been 8-0 since 1941. Has anybody looked up when the last time they were 9-0? I mean, was that 1941 too? I think or it was, was the same. I think that was the last year they went undefeated. Oh, okay. okay. So let me check, okay. let me check okay. on that real quick. But, but I believe anyway, that's the last time they went undefeated. That was really, really exciting. And, um, you know, I was, uh, you know, my daughter was kind of going in and out. And she's like, oh, you know, I, I think my or, I'm not going to name the kid's name. Um, I think her friend, you know, he must be getting recruited by the Gophers. And I said, well, what what makes you say that? And he had a big VIP pass. He's on the sidelines. And then afterwards had video inside the locker room. You know, it was just, you know, P.J. Fleck going crazy. And it, it, it was great. And it's everybody storming the field. That was so cool. I mean, it, you almost feel, as a Minnesota sports fan, the dam is going to break. It's going to break, and it's going to break our way. <laughs> I mean, it just has to. I mean, the numbers are there. The odds are overwhelming that it's going to happen. Well, I mean, you just look at stuff like what happened, what's happened in Boston over the last 15 years. Now you look at Washington, D.C. They have their sports teams winning titles. So There you go. Sometimes it comes in spurts. Or I, I, I prefer waves. Waves, large waves, waves you, lasting years. You you got to start with a spurt before you can get to a wave. Waves don't start out like a big kahuna then get right. small. They, they got to get to big kahuna first. Well, that's that made a lot of people very happy. So congratulations to the Gophers. Well, listen, there are a lot of things we're going to talk about tonight on this Saturday night with Esme. Um, starting this hour with a couple of stories that have been in the news. Actually, this, this first one has been sort of on the back burner because there's been so much going on. But the Trump administration has started to pull the U.S. out of the Paris Climate Agreement. The Trump administration announced that they wouldn't be a part of this very early on. So a lot of people thought, well, gee, I I thought this already happened. And apparently it won't be completed for another year or so. So we want to talk with Rolf Nordstrom, who is the president and CEO of the Great Plains Institute, about what exactly that means. Rolf, thank you so much for joining us this evening. It's my pleasure. Okay. Thanks for having me. And, and I, I know that you folks are fall into the camp that are very concerned about the president's actions here uh, and concerned about climate change. Tell us about the Great Plains Institute. 
Yeah, so Great Plains Institute, we're a little bit over 20 years old. We are a nonpartisan, nonprofit energy policy and technology institute. We're based here in the Twin Cities, but we work throughout Minnesota and across the country um, promoting um, an energy transformation, but one that benefits both the economy and the environment. And really, you know, when our work succeeds, we hope to see, expect to see stronger communities, more economic opportunity, an expanded industrial base for the country, and more domestic energy independence. And then, yes, we, we do think we need to eliminate uh, carbon emissions while right. we're while we're at it. And obviously you along with so many people. Let me just ask you this. This is a little bit of a sidebar here, but yeah. do you do any work at all looking at okay, yes, climate change, we're fighting, we're trying to battle carbon emissions. We're, we're, we're trying to get people to be aware of this. We're, we're trying to get the United States to stay in the Paris Climate Accord as as our every other country in in the world except for what is it? Syria or Syria and us or something like that. Um, But but um, I did read a a very interesting article in today's New York Times talking about Scandinavian countries where farmers are actually in the process of planting grapes and creating a wine industry there that a generation ago would absolutely not have been possible or was only for just, you know, sort of the diehard hobbyist. But because yeah. of the climate change, they're they're able to do this and produce, you know, the kinds of grapes that can produce a good wine that, that, that you know, can actually be a business. In other words, while, while I'm sure they're doing a lot of things to limit carbon emissions, they're also seizing this moment of where their climate is changing to try and take advantage of that. W- what about that part of this? I mean, is that something that that you advocate or that you think is a has a piece here or, or has, has a, a seat at the table? For, well, for sure. I mean, you know, um, as with any big change, there are, there are going to be winners and losers. And I think human beings are, you know, endlessly ingenious. And uh, I think one of the hallmarks of our species is that we are amazingly adaptable. And so I think the story you just cite from the New York Times is just a great example of that. I guess I would say from our standpoint, you know, we, we, and I mean everybody in that we, people who are concerned about climate have tended to view it uh, only as a problem to be solved rather than as an opportunity to be seized. Right. And And, that's what I was just, I was just reading about this and these farmers were excited about it and, you know, they they were having some harvests of some really good wine. Yeah. Yeah, we, We think it's a real problem, but we also think, like where Minnesota is concerned, we think Minnesota has an incredible opportunity to sort of flip that narrative on its head and see it as uh, as a huge economic opportunity. Uh, and you can see that there's actually something that your listeners may not be aware of called the Minnesota Sustainable Growth Coalition. It's 30 of Minnesota's largest companies. So think 3M, Cargill, Ecolab, Target, General Mills, Best Buy, et cetera, who have actually laid out uh, – a, a business case for Minnesota to lead on clean energy. And I, I won't rattle off what they say about that other than to say, you know, here's Minnesota's biggest businesses saying Minnesota has an opportunity and ought to lead on clean energy and, and see the climate issue as, a, as an opportunity. 
Got it. Um, yeah. In terms of the withdrawal from the Paris Climate Accord, I mean, this is something that the president announced, you know, almost immediately as, as soon as he yeah. was elected. Uh, but yet it's only happening now. Why is that? And, and why, why does it take so long? And what are the implications of actual withdrawal? Yeah. Well, so the agreement, uh, and just to recap for those who may have lost track of what all happened. So this, the agreement, I mean, I thought, I thought it was sort of over. And, and then I, yeah. you know, and I well, you you know, sort of pride myself on, on kind of being up on things. Right. Well, there was a pretty big lag time. So this agreement got signed back in December of 2015, right? You had almost 200 countries sign it. And, and what does uh, it do? Let's talk well, about that. Well, yeah, signed back in December of 2015, right? You had almost 200 countries sign it. And, and what does uh, it do? Let's talk well, about that. Well, yeah, it, it was really, it was a first globally. It was the first time that basically all the nations of the world, uh, except Uzbekistan and Nicaragua. Oh, it's Uzbekistan, uh, actually, Nicaragua. I couldn't remember what other um, countries. They late, actually, Nicaragua, Uzbekistan later joined, uh, but uh, in in 2017. But anyway, virtually all countries of the world, for the first time back in December of 2015, came together and said, "Yeah, you know what? Uh, our economies are going to be at risk. We need to do something about this." And they all signed this agreement that said, "We're going to, we're each country is going to figure out what." they are going to do to reduce greenhouse gases. So it wasn't, there was no mandatory, you know, dictate about what each country was going to do. They were called nationally determined contributions. Each country set their own. And the goal was really to work together to keep the global average temperature of the whole planet from going up more than 3.6 degrees Fahrenheit. And it's already gone up 1.4 degrees. And you can kind of see since, since 1880. And people just, I think intuitively, it doesn't take you don't have to be a climate scientist to see that things are changing around us in a really observable way. So that was the goal of the of the compact was to have countries work together to really tackle this in earnest. And as you pointed out at the very top, you know, the United States is now the only country in the world that's proposed to pull out. It was in terms of the implications, the agreement was designed intentionally to be easy to join and hard to leave. So that's why pulling out. Okay. so long, and and a future president, of course, you know, if they wished, uh, could have us could have the United States rejoin. Got it. And are there other countries that that have said they're pulling out? No. Okay. Just us. It's just us. Okay. So so that was announced, and and now what stage are we in? Well, so now now the clock, you know, begins ticking, and it does take about a year from now. Um. So, you know, here's the thing, Esme, but my, my biggest worry about the, the Paris Climate Agreement uh, is that the United States will create space for China and other countries to lead on the low-carbon energy technologies that will define the rest of this century. Um, and, you know, you know that old saw that you're either at the table or on the menu? Yeah. I mean, I think I just I think um, I just worry that we are going to sort of see that economic space. China has already made I mean, they've been very clear about the fact that they want to lead on these new technologies. Electric vehicles are a great example. I mean, they're already the largest uh, electric bus manufacturer in the world. So they're um, they're on a tear. but so you're 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 yeah. you're saying there's another piece to this that that in terms of as we withdraw from this climate accord, it it, it, it signifies just a shift in the overall posture of the American economy, American business, yeah. American research, 
to not go forward with the kinds of technologies that will be the standard and that 50 years from now, this could be incredibly damaging to us. That is what I'm saying. Yeah. And it's not, of course, it's not like our economy grinds to a halt just because we pull out of the Paris Agreement. We obviously can still lead on all kinds of technologies. But, you know, uh, the trade agreements and the relations with other countries, it actually matters whether or not the United States is seen uh, in a leadership position or not. So but here's the here's the good news, I think, for Minnesota, because I actually think whether you're somebody who thinks that we ought to be in the Paris Agreement or don't think we should be. I actually think that the big takeaways for Minnesota are the same in either case. And I think there are three biggies. One is that the consumers of consumers of all kinds are demanding a transition to clean energy. And we could spend the whole balance of the time just talking about which consumers and and why. A second big takeaway is that the reason that consumers are demanding more clean energy is because it's become cheaper than all, all, virtually all of the alternatives in most cases. And that's especially true in the electricity sector. I mean, utility yeah. scale wind and solar have come down 70 and 90 percent respectively in the last decade. Uh, and then the third thing is, and I guess I said this earlier, you know, this growing a clean energy economy in Minnesota, given our resource base, really could be a source of, of economic advantage for us. Right. Well, let, let me ask you this. I mean, I mean, yeah. it, it, it's going to take another year to withdraw from this accord. Um, what and, you know, we don't know, obviously, who's going to win the presidential election. Um, if the president does not win and I'm not saying he won't win because I think it's very possible that he is going to win. Yeah. But if he doesn't win, can if he wins, obviously the withdrawal will will go forward. If he doesn't win um, and the you know, a Democrat gets in there and says, no, we want to stay in the climate accord. Is that just you know, can you just. Stay in. I mean, is it that well, very easy or simple? <laughs> it, it is pretty easy. As I said, it was meant to be easy to join and hard to leave. OK, so I, I mean, I uh, you know, I don't know whether it's a phone call. I think it has to be a little more formal than that. But it's basically it's it's going to be pretty easy if a future president decides we ought to be we ought to be at the table after all. It's going to be pretty easy to okay. to turn around and rejoin. But are there any direct ramifications from being out completely? Because we're still in it. I mean, just, you know, economic or, or, mean, or in terms if, of environment, immediate. If we really do in the end come yes. out of it? Yes. Well, I think the main one, honestly, is, is the one I've already mentioned, which is uh, sort of a global leadership role that we will be ceding to other countries, uh, which will be, you know, they'll be only too happy to, to kind of fill that vacuum. Uh, but, but what I have found interesting is, as you mentioned, uh, President Trump said we would pull out a long time ago. And has been quite skeptical about the whole climate issue. But what I've, what we have observed in our work is that in response to that, you see states, companies, um, cities really leaning in and saying, no, we, we actually do think that this is a risk to us and we need to do something about it. Um, so we, I, I see an enormous amount of momentum there. And the other thing that I think is interesting, this was actually just recently in the news. You know, I, I think it's useful to remind your listeners that the climate issue was once a very bipartisan issue, both nationally and in Minnesota. You know, this landmark uh, law that Minnesota passed back in 2007 called the Next Generation Energy Act, that was when Tim Pawlenty, Republican, was governor. 
and it was passed by 97% of the legislature at the time. And just recently, I read of a new bipartisan climate change caucus being formed at the federal level, at the congressional level, by a Republic, two senators, Republican uh, Senator Mike Braun from Indiana, which is not known as a hotbed of liberalism, and then Democratic Senator Christopher Coons from Delaware. And actually, in preparing uh, for this interview, I, I reread their press release because I was so struck by it. And if you'll allow me, I just want to – it's just a sentence. Sure. I just want to quote from their release because I think it captures perfectly where Great Plains Institute thinks we are right now. Here's a quote. In its current state, our national conversation on this issue is too polarized, too polarized, toxic, and unproductive. In this environment, American leadership is sidelined, instead replaced by partisan bickering. And to us, this is unacceptable. So here were these two senators saying, you know, maybe it's time we have, uh, we sort of refresh the conversation. And our own experience, Great Plains Institute's experience in working with both blue and red states across the country, is that if you're willing to meet people where they are on the climate issue, people of good faith can find common ground here. Right. Some people don't want to talk in terms of climate. They want to talk about economic development, what, it, you know, what clean energy can right. do for their states. So well, we think there's real opportunities still. Right. Um, well, and I will tell you, as somebody who has, um, you know, a, a teenager and a 20-year-old, you know, I think yeah. young people are, this is their issue. I mean, this is their issue. And right. I, I think that... Um, there, there's a, a passion for about this issue uh, because it's their future, and, and I think yeah. that that's something that, and I think that that appears to be very bipartisan, from just you know just my sort of observations of, of you know hearing young people talk about it. Well, Rolf Nordstrom, yeah. uh, President CEO of Great Plains Institute, thank you so much for being with us tonight. Hey, thanks for having me. All right, absolutely. Take All care. right, folks. Um, on this great Gopher Saturday. I hope you're having a great time out there. It's kind of drizzly, kind of dreary. Uh, be careful on the roads out there. We've got a lot going on on this Saturday night. Uh, we're going to talk about something that I kind of really would like just some basic info on, Brexit. What the heck is it? What is it doing? Does it make it better to go over to Europe right now and go to the U.K.? I think it does because I think the dollar is stronger uh, but we're going to talk with an expert about that coming up. Uh, we do have to pay some bills, but that's in our next half hour. Uh, and at 8 o'clock, we're, of course, going to have David Schultz to talk about uh, all the developments in politics. Big impeachment hearings. If you're a daytime television fan, folks, you're not going to be able to watch it. Um, anyway, there are going to be hearings on uh, on many television and radio stations. Uh, so we're going to talk about that with David Schultz and, and what he thinks is going to happen. So keep it here. You're listening to News Radio 830 WCCO. All right. We're just celebrating the Gophers all evening here, all weekend. Congratulations, Gophers. It was an awesome game to watch. A little bit of a name. We're just celebrating the Gophers all evening here, all weekend. Congratulations, Gophers. It was an awesome game to watch. A little bit of a nail biter at the end. You know, I was telling Jonathan Lowe that I was kind of watching through my fingers, you know, that last minute and a half and great interception. They won. It's awesome. It's incredible. It's really incredible. I think a lot of uh, Minnesota sports fans pinching themselves, pinching themselves, thinking, oh, my goodness, are we going to get a real winner? Uh, and I guess they go down to uh, they play Iowa next week. All right, folks, uh, a lot going on this evening, a lot to talk about. Um, 
Uh, next half hour, this coming half hour, we're going to talk about Brexit. What is it? What does it mean for us? What does it mean for, you know, our money in terms of travel or purchasing, you know, British things? Uh, just, you know, kind of curious. You're always hearing about it, and there seems to be still a lot of uncertainty about it in the U.K. In our next half hour, or next hour, rather, we are also going to be talking about TikTok. Have you heard about TikTok? It is the latest app that kids are into, and my daughter's into it. It seems really cool. I, you know, I'm not on it, but it seems sort of fun. They got, you know, are, are your kids on TikTok, Shaletta? It's, it seems no, really. No, they're, they're a little young for it, but it, it's a fun little, my 13-year-old it has seems really on it. It innocent. seems really innocent. fun. It seems really fun. Uh, you know, they've got the dancing videos and they've got animals. Well, there are some people who say it's a national security threat, Shaletta. What? I'm, I'm, I'm very Girl, serious. I'm national security threat and that it's, they're spying on our children and that, that it is it is a source. Uh, the Chinese government is using TikTok to gain a foothold on American youth. I, I kid you not. I, I'm, I'm, I'm dead serious. So we're going to talk to an expert about that. I know it sounds crazy because it does seem... From what I have seen, it seems kind of sweet and fun. And, well, there are some pretty serious people who think it's something that's pretty dangerous. And then in the 8 o'clock hour, we're going to talk with Professor David Schultz about the upcoming televised impeachment hearings. Uh, That is going to be happening this coming week. Uh, But first, we should take a break, and we want to give you uh, some weather. So let's take a quick break, and we'll give you the full WCCO radio forecast Then when we come back, we'll talk about Brexit. It is 637 on a fabulous Saturday evening for Gopher fans. Congratulations to the Gophers for winning that game. They are now 9-0, a stunning upset for them. Well, this half hour, we are going to talk about Brexit. I'm sure you've heard about it. It's, It's the U.K. leaving the European Union And it just seems to be going on and on and on and on. And the question is, what's going to happen and what does it mean in terms of, you know, world markets? What does it mean potentially if if there is a no deal Brexit? It's it's pretty complicated. And as I said, I, you know, I'm somebody who tries to follow these things pretty carefully. And there are more twists and turns to this than, um, well, just almost in our presidential election. Maybe not on that one. But Mary Curtin is the diplomat in residence at the Humphrey School of Public Affairs and is joining us now to help sort this out. Hi there, Mary. How are you? Hi, Esme. I'm good, thank you. How are you? I am very well. Well, let me ask you, Brexit. Um, what? There was a vote a couple of years ago, and the, and it was a surprise that – People in the U.K. voted to leave the European Union. And isn't it right that the prime minister actually called the vote expecting it to not turn out that way? That's right. And it actually was um, more than three years ago now. Wow. This okay. has been going on for three years. So uh, the prime minister at the time, Cameron, did it. Many people felt that he called the referendum as sort of a political ploy to strengthen his vote with those people who wanted to leave the, the, the European Union, and that he thought by having a referendum and the vote leave would lose, and then Britons would vote to stay in the European Union, and then that would sort of 
strengthen, and that, strengthen his hand. Yeah, and strengthen his hand. And so by all accounts, he did not um, expect to lose, and he opposed leaving. Um, and when the vote went the other way, he resigned, as you recall, and that's when Theresa May became prime minister. So then it was the following March, they officially informed the European Union that they had the intention to leave, and that opened a two-year window, um, which was supposed to close <laughs> last March. And that, and so if you feel like this has been going on for a long time and going around and around in circles, it's because it has. Got it. Um, so it's not, it, it, I think anyone who follows it, and even from following some of the people who are involved in the negotiations, they also feel like this has just been dragging on and on and on. Right. What, um, you know, and I know that there was that the March deadline was extended to October 31st. Now yeah. that's slid. Where, where, where do we stand right now? So right now, um, the European Union gave the UK three more months. So that's till the end of January. And they negotiated, well, they, when Boris Johnson came in, they negotiated yet another variation of a way for the UK to stay connected to the EU without being in it. He could not get that through Parliament. If you remember, in mid-October, they had a whole bunch right. of different votes. And so uh, the, the EU said, okay, you can have till the end of January. And then, because of all these different votes, um, Johnson was put in an untenable position, and so he has called elections, and they will have elections December 12th. And they are so lucky because their election, their electioneering season is only like six weeks and not whatever, three years. Like we have. <laughs> that sounds here. like a good idea. Yeah. So they will have elections December 12th. So a lot depends on what happens in those elections because um, Johnson's not in a great position. On the other hand, the Labor Party, the other major party, also isn't terribly popular. So I think right now it's very unclear. So that new what's on the table is that deal that Johnson couldn't get through, right? Right. And so if a new government comes in and it's not Johnson, maybe they won't like that deal and they may go back to the EU yet again. So it's very, very unclear how this is going to play out. Right. You know, meanwhile, what, what are sort of the implications, you know, it, it, in, in Europe? Like, I know, for instance, the dollar has been a lot stronger against the British pound since all this has happened. Yeah. So um, which, which means you know, you, your, your dollar will go further if you go over there right, and travel. Right. So it, there hasn't been the catastrophe that everyone was predicting at the time, um, but it has weakened the pound. And I would say mostly because of the uncertainty. Right. There are some people who say, you know, they would have been better off if they had just gone ahead and left because it right now it's the uncertainty that is weakening the pound because the UK does not have the euro. Um, and it, it also what I would say is that it's distracted the whole political process in the UK. Um, and so a lot of really important issues that maybe led to the vote in the first place, like, you know, the status of the healthcare system or inequality in the economy, 
are not getting addressed because they're, the whole political system has been so focused on the, the rounds and rounds and rounds of Brexit negotiations. Right. So it hasn't been catastrophic, but it's, it's created uncertainty. Right. Um, and, and what is the concern about leaving Brexit without a, or leaving the EU without a deal? Why, is that, why are so many people scared of that? So the reason that people are afraid of that is because right now the, the UK is in a, in, a, in a single market customs union, which means all of their goods can go be exported to the European Union without, um, without any you know, tariffs or trade. It's like exporting to Wisconsin from Minnesota. Right. Um, and if they don't have a deal, that means there's no bilateral uh, trade agreement between the EU, which trades as a block, and the UK. And so British businesses and European businesses who do business in the UK wouldn't wouldn't have any sort of special relationship anymore with regard to the import and export of goods and with regard to the yeah. movement of people. Say if a British business person wants to go to Germany and work in an office, you know, say there's a bank and it has right. offices in Germany and UK, then they would no longer have that sort of movement of people either. Right. Um, and so there's fear that there's, there would just be, that there would be trade, but there would be tariffs, there would be customs, there would be a lot of things that just don't exist right now. Right. And it's, it's as if Wisconsin was a separate country. Yeah. You know, and, and we, we and, th- trying to trade with Wisconsin as opposed to just being another state. And, yeah, you know, we can just go right. back and forth. And, uh, and the UK is an island. So suddenly there would be customs on all those boats and trains that come over. Go right. back and forth. And, uh, and the UK is an island. So suddenly there would be customs on all those boats and trains that come over from the EU. And they don't have the staff. They're, people fear that there would be these huge backlogs of trucks and boats as they come across the channel and that it would just that it would create chaos. So the reason for a deal is to have a trading framework in place on the day when the UK leaves. And the other issue, of course, is then how does that impact the border between Northern Ireland, which is part of the UK, and the Republic of Ireland? Right. And that's really, you know, I I have been there, lucky enough to have been there and it's really fascinating because, you know, you're in the Republic of Ireland, which is, um, you know, sort of the main larger part of Ireland. And it's it, you cross the border into Northern Ireland, which, of course, is part of the UK. It's British. And and there's not really I, I can't remember if there was a checkpoint or it, it's not much of a border. Not at all. right. You now. know, yeah. it, no, it really isn't. Too. I was surprised. I, I, I suddenly looked up and I thought, oh, wait, huh? I'm in Northern Ireland, and right. uh, it's and it's like that, you know, in a lot of Europe too. Like if you, you know, drive from Brussels to Germany or whatever, you don't even notice that you're passing a border. Right, right, and and so there's uncertainty about what to do there. Mm-hmm. What about um, the UK's relationship with the US? It seems like so many of our relationships with our allies are sort of in a period of turmoil right now, in part because of Mm. the president and the fact that he's so unpredictable in a lot of what he says. I know that obviously the president has been a big supporter of Boris Johnson and has, you know, uh, you know, given him shout outs and support. uh, But it's not clear, you know, how would this affect the UK's relationship with the U.S.? So um, 
it, I, before I start, I would add that it has gotten even more complex in just in the last couple of weeks because there is a small splinter party, um, the Brexit party that created and broke off from the Tories. And now they are even critical of Johnson because they just want, they want no deal. They just want to leave. And the other day, President Trump actually expressed some support for that and started to say, well, we don't know if we can do a deal. So his, the unpredictability that he brings to all of these uh, is now starting to include Boris Johnson. But so right now, the U.S. the U.S. doesn't have a free trade agreement um, with the EU, but all of our trading structures with European countries is basically done with the EU because that's how the EU countries have set it up. So suppose Brexit just happened one day. It, um, it wouldn't cause any immediate disruption per se between the United States and the UK, we, but we wouldn't have any trade agreements with them right now because all the trade agreements we have are through the EU. Got it. Um, and so uh, we'd have to start probably, from scratch. Right. We'd have to start from scratch. And it probably wouldn't be too hard to say, do say a normal trade deal that we have with other, well, even with the EU. Um, but what Trump has been talking about all along is that, oh, we would do a free trade agreement just with the UK. And so that's what he is now saying. Uh, oh, I don't know if I could do that. That's really hard to do. And um, a lot of the Brexiteers in the UK have been saying, yeah, but we'll get a free trade deal, deal with, the UK, with the US. So, you know, it'll be better than a deal with the EU. And that, you know, as we've seen in politics, free trade deals are not very popular these days. And so um, I don't think the US would lose out, but um, the UK might. Um, but there are a lot of US businesses in the UK. Some of them have already started to move their offices out, to out. Dublin or yeah. to Germany because they they want to be inside the EU for all the tax and trade reasons. So I, I think there would be some disruption. It wouldn't disrupt, you know, uh, the UK obviously also is in NATO. That does not get impacted. So, um, you know, I, I, I don't think it's right to sort of paint this incredibly dire picture of U.S.-U.K. relations, mm -hmm. but I don't think it would be as rosy as some people would like to present it because right. I think free trade deals are difficult to, right. to negotiate. So the, the next thing that happens are these elections in, no, in December. Yes. And, yeah. and, and it really does seem like no one's quite sure if Boris Johnson is going to win or not. Yeah, I was just looking at some polls today. And the leader of the Labor Party isn't incredibly popular either. And, you know, they don't do primaries like we do here for their party leadership. Party leadership is chosen by party members. So um, he's not incredibly popular, but he is the, the leader of the Labor Party. And I did see today that he's gaining quite a bit on Johnson. And what also is important is that then they have to they have to be able to form a government. And right now, neither Boris Johnson nor Jeremy Corbyn, the head of the Labor Party, have enough, look like they would have enough votes to have a majority all on their own. So they need to have a coalition with somebody. And uh, the Northern Ireland Party got mad at Johnson over the last Brexit deal. So they're saying that they won't support him. 
Um, now, the Scottish National Party might support the Labour Party. So um, it's complicated. <laughs> yeah, it's really complicated. And so I would say, you know, most analysts right now are saying that a month out, just over a month out, it's pretty hard to say what will happen. Well, listen, Mary Curtin, I want to thank you so much. It, it, as I said, it's, it's a complicated topic, and you've done a great job in helping us understand it. It still has so layered and so nuanced, and then it it's is. all against the backdrop of, of course, a system that's not you know, remotely really like ours. There's so many differences, so it's, that adds mm-hmm. to the complications as well. But, but you did a great job explaining it. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. It's always a pleasure to be on. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure to have you on. Mary Curtin, the diplomat in residence at the Humphrey School of Public Affairs. Uh, We have to take a quick quick break. Uh, We'll have much more ahead on this edition of Saturday Night with Esme. All right, Gophers, huge win, incredible upset over Penn State. And at the start of the show, I was talking about the win, and I was saying, it's so incredible. The the last win, people were going, oh, my God, they're 8-0. They haven't been 8-0 since 1941. And I asked, well, when was the last time they were 9-0? Jonathan has the answer. J-Lo has the answer. This is incredible. What, J-Lo, when was the last time the Minnesota Golden Gophers were 9-0? and So I should have seen this during the broadcast because they actually yeah. put up the schedule on the broadcast. Yeah. The year was 19 aught 1904 was the last time. <laughs> That's amazing. They played such powerhouses as Twin Cities High School – don't know what that was or what that entailed, but they beat them 107 to nothing. <laughs> are, you, are you sure this is like football? This is football. Okay. And then they also played Grinnell. Grinnell is a small college in Iowa. Sure. They actually, they actually had to cancel their football season this year because they didn't have enough players. They ended up winding up having not enough players midway through the season. They canceled all their games. The last game they played, I believe, of the year was against McAllister. They're in the same oh, wow. conference as McAllister in Division Yeah, very three. good college, yeah, the, down in Iowa. The Gophers that year in 1904 beat Grinnell 146 to nothing. That's incredible. This is great. <laughs> this is great. Well, listen, you know, maybe, I mean, that's amazing. So that's the last time, 1904, that that's they the were 9-0. Yes, that they that they started a football campaign 9-0. What happened was they, they they played various amounts of games up through the early 19, you know, the teens yeah, and the yeah. 20s. And then they actually shrunk. That 8-0 team in 1941, they only played eight games. And then they played, and I don't even think they played in a bowl game. They only played eight games at the time, so they didn't get up to eight, nine, ten until I believe the late 1950s into the 1960s. Wow. Okay. Well, and and you know, of course, obviously they they were in the middle of World War II. Yes. And and that obviously had an impact on on young men everywhere. Uh, but that that is an incredible statistic. Well, it really does feel like this is something very very special. And Gophers, you did it. It was awesome. All right, Jonathan, you're awesome. Thank you so much for that. All right, folks, keep it here. You are listening to News Talk. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.